Good evening, everybody. We are here, the fifth day, right? Yes, fifth, fifth, fifth day. day of the sixth month and our seventieth session. Of our fourteenth year. So 14. many, so many numbers over there. But we are happy to be back with you. We've got lots of questions, hmm. and again, I don't think we'll have time to finish all of them. But we thank you for your questions. You see, it's like the woman who pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' robe. She touched the hem of his robe. She was healed. And the Bible says after that, many others touched the hem of his robe and they were healed. Somebody who is going through a crisis asks a question and we answer. But so many others also get an answer to their crisis because somebody pressed through and touched. So all those who send the questions, we just thank you. All we pray is, Lord, let our answers be true to your word. In the morning we heard about sound doctrine. So our answers also should be sound Amen. according to the word of God because only the word of God has the power to save. Hmm. So not in the counsel of man, but the counsel of God. Yes. So this evening, as we commit this time into thy hands, I'll again ask Pastor Vijay to lead us in prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we just want to thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Father, for the 70th session of Q&A. Thank you, Lord, for all the questions that your, that your children have sent from all around the world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord, you are the only answer that we have. It is you and your word and your spirit, O oh Lord, Father, which is able to comfort everybody who is going through whatever situation that they're going through and whatever questions that they have in their hearts, O oh Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would bless this session, O oh Lord. And Lord, I pray for all those who are going to listen now and even in the days to come, O oh Lord Jesus, that, Lord, you would minister to every one of them, O oh Lord Jesus, and strengthen, and Lord, you would build and edify your church, O oh Lord, and prepare us for the days to come, O oh Lord. We thank you, Father, once again for this session. Anoint all of us as we heard this morning, O oh Lord. It's the anointing which teaches us. And I pray, Father, the anointing will rest upon um, or, or your, your servant this evening, O oh Lord, and all of us, even as we listen, Father, that you teach us your ways, show us your paths, and lead us in the way of everlasting life. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory, for in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor, we shall begin. <clears throat> Pastor, we'll uh, begin with question number 10. <clears throat> it's about Gideon. <clears throat> we see examples of men of faith and great exploits they have done for God in faith. All of them are fallen, made, made big mistakes in their lives, but finally mended their ways and made right with God, except for one character, Gideon. It looks like he fell away in the latter stages of his life by departing from, by departing from God and worshipping idols. Bible does not record any change of heart in Gideon, yet he counted among the, uh, he's counted among the hall of faith, and it goes on to say, that they, including Gideon, are waiting for a better place. Can you explain what Gideon was, good or bad? Hmm. Um, it's not that he actually departed from the faith. The only thing that is mentioned over there is that the gold effort. that was given. He made an effort. And Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. It... Uh, what you say, it doesn't really say he fell away like that, 
But also you need to realize that all the men of faith who were, I mean, everyone, down to any one of us, God is not picking perfect people. God is picking people who are available. Mm. Amen. So it is availability that matters to God. Like Isaiah, right? You know, here I am. Yes. You be heard that message, here I am. Who is available? God will use them. So if God is where to wait for a perfect person, the only one was his son. Other than that, there has been no perfect person. So when God uses men and women of faith, he picks up people who are available. And most, almost all of them are weak people. Hmm. They made goof-ups. But the main thing is that they never quit. If you look at all of them, they never quit. Okay, And that is something that is important. Like a righteous man may fall seven times, but he's got bouncy. He he comes back. He That's what Jesus prayed to about Peter too. That your faith should not fail you. Yes. Okay, you are going to fall. Hmm. You're going to fall. But my prayer is that your faith should not fall, fail. That after that, after that, we get up. So all these people, if you go to the beginning of it, no, of that question, okay, all of them have fallen, made big mistakes in their life, but finally mended their ways and made right with God, except for one character called Gideon. Yeah, but. We are, we are just looking, if you look at the narrative over there, if you go to the book of Judges, with that, we cannot um, draw a complete conclusion that this guy went that route. Okay, if you, okay, if you go to Judges chapter 8 and verse 22 onwards, he actually does a real, I mean, he's, he's the big temptation. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. If Gideon had said yes, he would have been the first king. Mm. Not Saul. Okay, not Saul. He didn't say yes. It's a huge temptation. Basically, they're not asking you to be a judge. He says, be our king. king. And you, it will be. Your son, your grandson, all will be kings, become our king because of the great exploit he did. You know what he says? Next verse. Yeah. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Mm. These are, these are the, the final stages of, or not stages of the recording of we have of his life. The Lord will rule over you. And then what happens? And he said, I do have one request that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. <laughs> okay. The answer will be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each man threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pennants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Next was Yeah. Gideon made the gold in an effort which he placed in Ophra, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Mm. Okay? So that is where he went wrong. You see, but I also see where in the book of Judges is a different thing altogether. Okay, and like we saw in the morning, the fundamental problem in in the book of Judges you see is that you don't have teaching priests. Yes, yes, yes. You don't have teaching priests. There are no prophetic voices where people can go. At least in Deborah's case, the people came to her and she was giving counsel. So there was a prophetic voice over there. But if you go through the book of Judges, you don't see people like that. You have alien people who are fighting. But when peace comes, you need a teaching priest. Yes. You need a priest who will teach. You need a prophetic voice who will give you counsel. And that is not happening. And what you see in Gideon's case is that Gideon is not able to judge the people that way. So what does he do? He makes an effort. And he's basically telling them, go and ask, seek the Lord over there. 
This is an effort, a gold effort he makes. And it became a snare, a snare to Gideon and to his family. Okay, that, that's how it, that's how it ends. He doesn't, I mean, that's how, but we cannot, uh, we cannot discount what God did with him. Yes. Okay? Abraham is called a man of faith. Mm. But I can understand in Genesis 12, he's saying, Sarah is my sister. But I find it very oh, difficult yeah. at the end. Yes. Hmm. At the end, he say, yet God calls him a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> and tells Abimelech, ask him, he will pray over you. Okay, so we I know how he ends his life, no? So we see all those things, you know, there were no perfect people. And also, God, God, when you are judged, ultimately, you are judged by the knowledge you have received. You have received, okay? Of course, if you had the opportunity to receive more, it's a different question. But many of them, they had very little knowledge of God. And to whom much is given, much is required. So we are under more under this thing because we've been given everything. We've been everything. Now, unlike, you know, that's why Hebrews 6 says, we have tasted of the powers of the age to come. in the age to come. Meaning we have, we, we do not realize we have tasted heaven. Mm. We have like, a, a, you look at what is said about Moses, the decisions Moses taught because he saw him who was invisible. Mm. And we look into the decisions he has made and God says, you know what, you have tasted the powers of the ages to come. Have you made those decisions? Mm. Mm. Have you made those decisions which Moses made? Okay, so we need to realize, uh, we need to judge Gideon uh, with with more leniency. Okay, he was a weak man, picked by God, had a great victory, but uh, he was not doctrinally sound. <laughs> okay, he was a man for the hour. There was nobody else. God uses him. Okay, God uses him. These are desperate times, and God uses strange people, but he's considered a man of faith. Ask ourselves in that situation, would you go to fight the Midianites? 135,000 Midianites with 300 people, <laughs> with no weapons in our hands. Who do you go? He did. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Mm. He did. It's a mighty man. Mm. Okay. So would you, would you do something like that? Okay. So he was a mighty man. And after that, okay, he was saying, I don't like some of the stuff he did where he beat up the elders of a city yes. with prayers and all. Okay. But he's not that sanctified man. He, you know, he's not that sanctified man. He is picked for that hour to battle. Because the people cried out, God picked him, he led the people, they won the victory, and after that, you know, he used Samson. I mean, who would use Samson except our God? Okay? Who would answer Samson's last cry other than God? Only God. So, we, we, this is the fundamental things which you need to realize. That's what we are looking at, the two things which the work God does in us and the work that God does through us. When it comes to doing the work through Gideon. Gideon was very successful. He's a man of faith. The work through. But when it came to the work God does in him, he was not successful. Amen. So you can be incredibly successful as, because successful as somebody through whom God can work through. And Paul knows it's very, very clear about that. So in Corinthians 9, he says that after having preached, I do not want to be disqualified. Yes. Meaning I can be an incredibly successful ministry, what God did through me successful. But at the end, I myself was disqualified because I did not allow God to work in me. I resisted that. And I believe that's what happened with Gideon. But you cannot discount that he was a man of faith. That God used him to deliver Israel. And it's a lesson. All this I put over there was one 
Only one true book in the entire Bible. No whitewashing there. It's the Bible. It is shows people as they are to say that even great men of God can do great things and yet personally they can fail. You don't have to fail. You don't have to fail. And on the other hand, you can be a sanctified saint and have no great works because you won't allow God to work through you. Yes. So you can be either of these two. So God says the perfect balance is allow God to work in you like uh, Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, 12, uh, and 11 and 12, work out your talent. This thing. And verse 12 says, it is he who wills, works, works, works and wills. No, we have to. Philippians 2, 12. 12, 12. And 13, 12 and 13. 13, 13 actually. Okay. As you always obey, not only in my presence, how much more? For it is God who works in you mm. to will and to act according to his good purpose. Both. We need to have both. He mm. wills, no? Our sanctification and allow the, see, one is a spring of water welling within. The other is the river flowing, flowing out. Yeah, you yeah. cannot, you cannot have, you can have one without the other. Mm. You know? Okay, you need to have both. Mm. You need to have both. Mm. And then you are balanced. Okay, I'll give you another, another words. Romans 16. Romans uh, uh, 1580, not 16.15.80. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in the leading of the Gentiles to obey God of what I have said. And which version is this? And Oh, and I and I we can sometimes twist your mind around. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Accomplish through me in word and deed, in doctrine and works. There's no contradiction between Paul and James. It's the same spirit. Mm-hmm. Paul will people will say Paul will say about faith, faith, faith alone, and James will talk about deeds. But uh, doctrine and demonstration. Yes. Okay. It's it's like we say, doctrine without demonstration brings uh, misery, frustration. But doctrine and demonstration brings transformation. Yes. And it's it's a transformed life. Mm. You cannot have just doctrine alone without deeds, Amen. without demonstration. That brings uh, transformation. So you have to balance it that way. And when we don't get balance, we can end up like Gideon. But Gideon is you is mentioned there in the Hall of Fame of who have done mighty things. Yes, Pastor. Pastor, another question on stumbling. Uh, David, it's question number three. Okay, it's two. Okay. <coughs> David was a man after God's own heart, mm. yet he stumbled many times. You say after he wrote Psalm 51, he never sinned again. Was he restored? All through the time of rep- uh, all through the time of repentance, does he live a holy no, life? No, no, I, I have never said he never sinned again. It's no man who never sinned again except Jesus. There's no man who never sinned. Okay. After he wrote Psalm, you, you have to understand the concept we keep between, uh, let, let's have NK, NIV for a, for a change. Ephesians 1 4. Ephesians 1 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Mm. Okay. 
it is not being sinless it is being blameless as long as we are caught in this trap called this body that is why god has issue with people who enjoy this body because saints always looked at this body as a prison mm. because they knew all the temptations are connected with this body in which dwells the flesh okay it is there okay in this flesh so when we walk in this flesh we are going to be tempted in word in deed in thought and we will fail we will fall but god is asking us to walk before him blameless, blameless. Yes. so it is not that david did not fall after that but he learned to walk before god blameless repentance walking in repentance for 16 months he did not repent the minute he repented god came again with bitsheba i don't know it's 9 months 10 months we don't know 11 months we do not know he walked without repentance but the minute he repented he became blameless mm. because it is taken away put on christ and we are made blame if you go to it stick to an iv if you go to uh, genesis 17 verse 1 yes right so before me and be yeah, blameless you no know? when abraham was 99 years old the lord appeared to him and said i am god almighty walk before me and be blameless mm. that's the only way that's the only thing we can do we can walk before god blameless my little children i write to you that you do not sin but mm. if you sin we have an advocate and we confess he is faithful and the blood of jesus cleanses of unrighteousness no no that is walking before god this is now if you look at it that he says you look at that statement i've taught all this no we're old days in, no no this one this Same. one it's on. i am god almighty he's he's said different things he, what does he say walk before me not with me we walk with god but in certain times god says or we also walk before, before god. god i told you know this when i was when i was small when i was with, with my dad you know and i hear that every day in my house Okay, my father would uh, make me walk before him, and says your knees should not knock when you walk. Mm. Okay, I can hear Ma tell at home almost every night. Sorry, walk straight. Yes, don't put a hunch. Okay, don't hunch. Mm. Sorry, walk straight. Same with the man. Okay, okay mm. we said no because we have a tendency of walking mm. hunch, and then it will become like that. No, so when you are walking before God, God is observing our walk. Mm. Okay, walking with God is something else. walking before god is something else and when god is walk when you're walking before god he says walk before me and be blameless mm. and god has made that way it is through the blood of jesus so that is basically what is talking about what we know david david sent after that even after bethsheba the census and mm. all that we know and there might be so many occasions because you know what in the old covenant if a man stops sinning he doesn't have to go to the temple again There's no need for any offerings. There's no need for any offerings. No peace offerings. Nothing. No atonement. Nothing. Because I am sinless. That is not true. They had to go all through the year. <laughs> They had to. In our case, we go every day. Why does the Bible says His mercies are new every morning? Because we goofed up. Mm-hmm. And why does the Bible say come boldly, confidently to the throne room, receive receive mercy? Because for that we can walk before him blameless and that is what it says we can walk blameless and there is no condemnation for those who are mm. in Christ Jesus mm. okay and like you no know, and the church should be that kind of a place where people can come and not be condemned be convicted and not be condemned because 
when Romans says grace where sin abounds, grace abounds, meaning there is nothing you and I can do which the grace of God cannot handle, the Spirit of God cannot handle. That's why there is only one sin that leads to death. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Oh. Nothing else. Hmm. Nothing else leads to death. There's only one sin. As far as I understand my doctrine from the Bible is that only one sin is that that leads to death. That is the blasphemy. Because when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then who convicts you? Yes, there's no repentance. Yes. So who mm. convicts you? Mm. Who can bring you to repentance? Yes. Okay. Yes. Who can bring you to repentance? Mm. You, know, who? You, you, you need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit now. Even about Jesus, scripture says, he offered himself through the Holy Spirit. Yes. You and I pray. Who takes our prayer to Jesus? The Spirit of God. And what if he doesn't take? And preach God. That's it over. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay. He is the one who takes our prayer to the Father through Jesus Christ, through the blood. And what if that Holy Spirit refuses? Okay. That's why we have to be very careful about it. You see that we don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And those who are hearing, please don't start going panicking. Oh, I have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, so I am unsaved. No, you are not. Mm-hmm. If you are listening, you have been, uh, you have been blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Nobody who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit would be interested in the, in God, the Word, the Church, or anything anymore. They're gone. They're just gone away. They're not interested. Because if God doesn't cause you, we will never turn. You will never turn. I will cause you. I will give you a new heart. Mm. Remember, it is he who began the work. It is who will finish the work. And in between, he is who is the one who keeps you in that work. Amen. Okay, so, yes, Pastor um, Vijay. Pastor, there's another question in the same uh, context, I believe. It's question number six, and then we can go to the next topic. Okay. It says, uh, can a person lose his salvation? Some people say he or she is not saved in the first place at all. Also, some people say, once saved, always saved, forever. Can you please clarify? See, <laughs> this is a constant question. Can a person lose salvation? There are people who will come hammer and tongs by saying, you cannot. If you are saved, you cannot be unsaved. Okay. Then there are others who will say, that also is not, no, like... I would like to stand in the middle. <laughs> One, my answer to you is that you chose God and God chose you. He chose you, but he did not override your will. Mm. I too had, no? To as many as who received him, mm. I had to receive him to become the child of God. Yes. I received him, okay? So my will was involved. Mm. And once my will is involved, what happens is I have lost my autonomy. No. Have I lost my autonomy? No. Does it happen that way? It does not happen that way. We, let's say, this is our 70th Q&A. Does that mean everybody in GTC is listening? No. No. Because they have an autonomy to listen or not to listen. Mm. Come to church, listen. God has never taken our will away. If our will is taken away, then I have, I personally feel that the purpose of salvation is lost. The purpose of creation of man is lost. Yes. Because man was created unique among the rest of creation where he's given this will to choose. Like will we heard in the morning, any, if anyone wills to do this. Anyone will wills to, to do this. So if I can choose mm. to, to be saved, I can choose to walk away from God too. Mm. Mm. To, too. 
but i would say that it's not an easy thing hmm. it's not a difficult thing too hmm. difficult thing too you know like we know dimas loved the world and left where we ended we do not know right we do not know a saul also what happened to king saul okay it's always a question 99 point theologians will say saul ended up in hell okay this 0.01% who says he didn't but that is a conjecture but the question is did the spirit come upon him was he given a new heart yes. was he anointed yes so in the new testament pattern you need to ask this question was he saved yes he was the patterns are there or the children of israel who came out of egypt in the pattern they were all baptized in moses both in the water and the cloud they all ate the same food they all drank the so in the new testament pattern were they saved yes yet did one whole lot straight away go, go to, to hell? hell yes when god opened up the ground wow okay so you have to look at this patterns okay so it is written it is also written in hebrews <laughs> yeah hebrews 6 is that that thing no but people have come up with even there they deny that you have lost 65 okay? 64 onwards oh, yeah. hebrew 6 mm-hmm. verse 4 mm-hmm. it is impossible it begins with the word impossible <laughs> for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift who have shared in the holy spirit who have tasted the goodness of the word of god and the powers of the coming age verse 6 if they fall away mm. so it's talking about falling away and the bible says in the last days there will be a they great fall falling away yes. from the faith fall away to be brought back to repentance okay so it is there and again another one more scripture i will give these are these are um, serious scriptures given over there uh, revelation chapter 3 verse 5 3 5 He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. Hmm. So, let me ask me from simple English. Can you have a statement like that if it is not possible to blot out a person's name from the book of life? A person's name is written. He received the Lord Jesus Christ. Name is written. And one day he turns and walks away. And his name is blotted. Doesn't that Moses also say? Moses also say. Okay, so this is where we had our. Let us go to Philippians uh, chapter two, verse eleven. Why should I work out my salvation with fear and trembling if I am already saved and I cannot lose it? Hmm. I cannot lose it. I don't have to. It's cool. I'm saved. I got baptized. I'm fine. Let me go out and do my own thing. God says no. Mm-hmm. You're being saved. You are saved. Yes. you are being saved mm. and you will be saved you will be saved okay continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling so the answer is that it is mandatory that you continue to to okay again let me give you another one so that this question is addressed romans chapter 11 that is of course the most powerful thing right one okay Where chapter 11 i will go from verse 17 this is talking about israel putting israel as a picture for the church verse 
If some of the branches have been broken off, and you though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive shoot, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Yes. You will say branches were broken off so that I could be granted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant. Arrogant. Be, but be afraid. Mm -hmm. Verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, who is that? Israel, the Mm -hmm. natural children of Abraham. He will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Provided, Mm. provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. You also will be cut off. Oh boy. So, uh, so the question Mm. is, now question is this. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and the Jews received the gospel, are the Jews cut off? They're cut off. There's no salvation for them unless they come to Christ. That's why there is no temple. <laughs> the picture of everything was the temple. There's no temple. The temple was destroyed. Okay. That's what he said, don't cry over me. You could weep over yourself. Okay. And uh, he died. Within 35 years, Titus came. The temple is gone. And from that time till today, for 2,000 years, there is no temple. There is no atonement. There is no. There's nothing happening for them. It's, they've been cut off. They've been cut off. And every Jew after that till today who got saved, only got saved through Jesus Christ. So the gospel was first preached to the Jews. And they accepted in their thousand, the three thousand who accepted on the day of Pentecost. They were the all Jewish Jews. Jews yes. Okay, and the Jews. And the book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish Christians. And then there are Gentiles coming in. So till today, you need to understand the fact the Jews are cut off. They are cut off. Okay, and the Gentiles are coming in. But can I, that does, does that mean a Jew cannot come in? Of course he can come in, like we have had. Testament is coming in. They have to accept that Jesus is the Messiah, that the entire Old Testament pattern, everything was pointing to Christ. Hmm. There's no other way. So we need to understand and God is warning us. If he can cut off them, he can cut off. Why? Because of unbelief. You can truly move from belief to unbelief. Belief. You can. And you can move from like unbelief to belief. You can move from belief to I don't believe anymore. And so many people, you look at the big time pastors all coming out and saying, I don't believe anymore, I'm no longer, I'm gay now, I'm transgender now, all kind of junk, or I am bishop, I am, I believe, but I am transgender, I am gay. No, you don't believe. You don't believe. Did they start like that? No. Did they end like this? Yes. And unless they repent, they are finished. Hmm. They are finished. And that is where we have to be very, very careful, no? You, you can, you cannot you cannot see, like we said in the morning, grace is the is the power to overcome. And when we fall, if you do not uh, repent, if you don't repent, you're denying grace. And God is not saying there are a lot of Christians, within quotes, Christians who were once Christians, baptized in the Holy Spirit and all, who are living a lifestyle which is homosexual. Okay, I'm just using one example. It can be any other thing. A lifestyle where God talks about it and says, these kind of people will not inherit the kingdom. Inherit. It talks about the effeminate. What is basically effeminate? That's the transgender movement of those days. Okay, cross-dressing, men dressing like women, women dressing like men. You know, it is that. This is nothing new. But God says, you can have that issue. But if you look, choose by saying, 
I am Christian, but I will live this lifestyle. Then there is no repentance. You are not. You are not repenting about it at all. You know what? You are moving into very, very dangerous territory. Over and over, in almost every letter of Paul, he will warn these kinds of people. And he's talking to the church. He's not talking to the people outside. Mm. Because he says, this what some of you were. But you are washed. You are washed, you are cleansed. But if you go into that and continue in that without repentance, you are setting up here for a big surprise. Mm. Big, big surprise. So we need to understand what does salvation Because what does salvation mean? Salvation means God saved us from our sin. And what does sanctifying mean? God is saving, saving us, us from the power of sin. So even when you fall, it is not that you will not fall. When you fall, you cry out. You cry out. You, know, you cry out and say, Lord, deliver me. And he will deliver you. He will. That's what he's talking about. Walking blameless before God. But whenever, when people refuse to accept blame, no, I was born this way. And this is what I am. God made me that way. You're making God a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. God does, did not create homosexuals. You became one. Hmm. You became one. So don't listen to science. If you choose, use, if you are going to use science as your argument hmm. and not the word of God, then there is no deliverance for you. It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. Or anything. Any other sin. I'm only using, well, this is a big movement that is going on. You know? And that is where the issue comes. So we have to be very careful about once saved, always saved. So they will come back and say, we'll say, no, no, that means they were not saved in the beginning. That also is not true. No. That also is not. You have tasted. You, you have, have tasted the powers of the age to come. It's not that. But they walked away. Okay. And the best example is the story of the prodigal son. My question, rhetorical question I throw to people is, what if he didn't come back home? What if he doesn't come back? Was he a son? Yes. yes. Did, he, did he go from his father's house? Yes. And when he was there, what does the father say? Our son was dead. Yeah. Now he is alive. alive. You can go from alive to death and back from death to, to life. life. Okay, so we have to be careful. Yes. Pastor, one, I think there's one more question in the same mm. uh, uh, um, thought. It's actually question number 11. I think you mm. can finish that and we can go to the next. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it says Jesus moved along um, among along with sinners. Jesus moved along with sinners okay. who did not know God and brought them to the kingdom, mm. and they were poor in the spirit. Mm. Rarely we see Jesus persuading a Pharisee or a Sadducee to repent mm. because he knew they were full. In the same way today, when we pray for transformation of a sinner who doesn't know the gospel, versus praying for someone who has been to church and heard the gospel for long and remained a deceived carnal Christian. How does God respond to both these scenarios? The thing is that we 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 do not uh, we do not put God in a box. Mm. We are only asked to pray. Mm. Let me tell you, we are only asked to pray. We cannot say that uh, Jesus died for the Pharisees too. Yes, and much of the gospel was written by a hardened Pharisee, Pharisee. called Saul of Tarsus. Pharisee of Pharisees. <laughs> okay, Pharisee of Pharisees. So our job is to pray. Our job is to pray. God's job is to save. We don't do God's job and God won't do our job. Okay? So, there may be. Our job is to pray. We never know when people will get saved. We never know what it, God may do to save somebody. We do not know. Okay? So, our job is to pray and never write off anybody. 
never write off anybody. You will never know. Some of the people who have, you know, in our ministry over the years, <laughs> some of the people who got saved, I still remember, oh, I forgot that brother who died from Guyana. 105 people he had murdered. Not one or two. And he was in for life. And it was his 25th year, if I'm in, right, in prison, in isolation. Isolation, yes, in, in the isolation. isolation. And the, the transcript was thrown through the... Thrown. Through the <laughs> he was not even allowed to come out. Transcript, sin iniquity, transgression was thrown to him under the door. And he sat there mm. and he read. And he got saved. And the Holy Spirit fell upon him. And you did not even realize, within weeks he was out. God changed the heart of the judge. He was given parole. And he first wrote to me saying, Pastor, can I, I have a small little room, can I start a Bible study? And I will only teach from your messages. I said, go ahead. That church became a church, it exploded. And finally, before he died, he wrote to me. He said, the Lord told me, I'm going, I will die. For his death, for his funeral, if I'm right, there were around ten to 15,000 people for his funeral. One of the biggest, why? For the people he brought to the Lord. He lived only for a few years after he got saved. So don't write anybody off. Mario. Mario, Mario, Mario. Mario. <laughs> what, about, what about big boy Sid? <laughs> 20 years. Okay, so many. I'm not mentioning names. So many. Don't write anybody off. Okay, anybody off. I know women who got saved. You would, would have written them off. Wealthy women who had Boyfriends for every language they spoke. <laughs> Multimillionaires speak so many languages, visits, ghosts, everything. But when they got saved, it was all over in a minute. All over. I mean, if you look at them, you would never, 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 never think these people would get saved. But it was like that. So it does not matter who people are. You know, people will get saved. Our job is to pray. We don't write anybody off. Let God do that. Our job. That's why God does not tell us who will get saved and who will not get saved. Okay. Okay. But then we will never grow. We will never pray. We will never agonize. We will never, we will. So, so that's why that's one thing. Uh, two things we do not know. One, who will get saved. Two, when he will come back. Uh-huh. That keeps us on our toes. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, no, few more next, questions. Have no, I think okay, we, yeah. we can uh, do that. Uh, now this, uh, this is the next topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a question, Pastor? No, no go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, this question is regarding the gift of tongues. Okay. A lot of people have questions on this. Mm. Uh, is this question number four? Um, we'll look at two questions and then mm. we'll... How do we constantly pray? This is question number four. How mm. do we constantly pray? We have received the gift of tongues today. We were crying and crying. Five of us in the family. How do we stay in prayer? As Muslims, we are used to praying five times a day. Do we have to pray more than five times? Is it like communicating with God or just sitting at His feet? But what about our work, our studies, our day-to-day activities? Please explain this to me. We love the gift of tongues. It is so peaceful and makes us so calm. A beautiful language. Okay. <clears throat> First, let me put it across. Let's go to the beginning of that question. Okay. Uh, no, before that. Yeah. Four. Yeah, four, four, okay. Um, praying is basically communicating with God. Okay, communicating with God. And we need to understand that 
you can do all your things and still be in a prayerful attitude. Mm. God is not talking about a cessation of works. I'm not talking primarily about tongues alone. Okay. Prayer is just, it's being in an attitude where you are open to hearing from God. Mm. Okay. Hearing from God. Let's, I mean, I'm not using myself as an example, but I'm telling you pr- practically what I do. Like, you know, I now because of the lockdown, I'm in my office most of the days because I can't go back home. So I'm over here. And you know, in that office, I do everything on my own. I don't let anybody do anything on my own all these years. But even when I'm doing all these things, there are two things usually I do. Either I'm praying in tongues or I'm listening to a message. Hmm. I'm listening to a message. My headphones are on. I'm listening to a message. So it is not interfering with what I am doing. Hmm. It's not interfering with what I am doing. You are open. You're always open to hearing from God. So sisters and brothers all have work to do. But you're always open. Your mind is always open. And you can also pray in tongues. Speak in tongues, not loudly, quietly. Pray in tongues. So it is not about the number of times. You know, David would begin by saying, I pray three times. Then he goes, uh, seven, if I write seven, seven times, times. Then he mm. says, I pray all the time. Mm-hmm. I can pray mm-hmm. all the time. So it, you have, you need to realize it is remaining in this atmosphere. It's, it's just like this. I have this phone. The question is, am I always on the phone? No. But always in a point where I know when a call comes. Hmm. Yes. Call comes. Okay. I mean, you're connected. Basically. You're connected. Basically, it's on a vibration mode or it is a silent mode or it's not. So, you know it. Okay, call is coming. And you look at the call and say, should I take it or not? Depends upon the person. Okay, you are in that mode. It's basically living your life that way. Living your life that way. Where you are aware when God speaks to you. And when you're aware. Because you know what? <laughs> the Bible says in Romans, the whole of creation is declaring. And you're always aware God speaks to you. God is speaking to you in so many different ways. God is speaking to you. You open the newspaper, you realize God is speaking to you. Mm. You look at the junk. That's one of the questions that just came over there. Just question that just came in over from Australia. Okay. Do you believe these are warning signs? You are facing crisis all around the world. Perversion, wicked people, violent people all around. There's a crisis. Even with weather condition, crazy weather, crazy people. Is he coming sooner than we think? Homosexual, lesbians, transgender, all kinds of nonsense. This is a loud warning, I believe. Do you think it's a warning? He sneered. And you look at all around and the Bible. You read the Bible, the good news. Then you watch the news. Hmm. And you see the news is talking about what is happening in these last days. But you need to realize that we don't set a time. Hmm. What is happening now it's, is only because we are caught because of media. Media. Okay. You need to understand the Roman world was just like this. Yeah, exactly. The Roman world was just like this. They were homosexual, bisexual, absolutely pedophiles, and there was no law against it. The change in thinking for man came in when Christianity and the gospel came in. Yes. You did not you need to realize because Judaism was not a proselytizing religion, mm. Judaism did not bring change in the world. Yes. They stuck to their enclaves and they made their money. And they stayed. Okay, and they were persecuted wherever they went. Because you know what? 
they were also persecuted because that's one of the questions about Jesus. They were persecuted because they were always successful. And these people hate successful people. Yep. Okay. They were successful in one thing, in money. Mm. And Jews had a talent for yes, making money. Absolutely. Okay. Mm. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Even now all the big bankers, all are Jews. Mm. Okay. They had a talent. And kings used to borrow from the Jews yep. to fund their wars. Okay, that's where Shakespeare's all that, Shylock, Shylock, Shylock. all those, this thing and all, and this <laughs> negative portrayal of the Jews and all, because they knew how to, and they were cutthroat, okay, in their business. You remember that joke about, um, uh, two beggars sitting outside the Catholic Church? Okay, one is there, one is this thing, and the other is wearing the, what do you call it, Yamuka? Yamuka, yes. Yamuka, one Jewish beggar and one Catholic beggar outside a Catholic Church, and all the people are putting the money into the Catholics guy's uh, dish or whatever, he kept it over there. <laughs> and nothing for uh, the Jewish guy, okay? And uh, so one guy, while we were passing by, he said, hey man, why didn't you go sit outside the synagogue? You're wasting your time over here. And he walked away, the other fellow is winking and says, Moshe, he's teaching us our business. Both are Jews. One is dressed as a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so, so when it comes to prayer, you need to realize we live in that atmosphere. We live in that atmosphere of hearing from God, and God can speak to you anytime, any place. Living in that atmosphere where God can speak to you through anything, anybody, anybody. So that's basically, and that's not cessation of your work. It is not that you. When you pray five times a day and all, it becomes religion. Religion. The problem with religion is that it's good to pray five, um, pray five times a day. But what happens if God wants you to pray a sixth time? Hmm. Okay. So we are not caught under the law. Religion is based on laws. We are not under the law. We have liberty. Okay. And the liberty of the spirit. Okay. And the spirit will sometimes say, we just chill today. Jesus took his disciples and said, let's chill today. Mm. Don't have to do anything. Just chill. Okay. See, that's what I said. There has to be a calmness in our spirit. We are not desperate people. Mm. We are people who are calm in spite of desperate times because we are the only set of people who knows God is in absolute control of everything. We, we are not desperate. Oh Lord, what is happening? <laughs> You say, Lord, I know what is happening. I don't know what is happening, but I know you know what is happening. Mm. So I'm, I'm cool. Mm. I am cool. And that's what we talk about Peter over there sleeping. Why is he sleeping in prison when Herod is planning to kill him the next day? Because he's got a promise. Mm. He's got a promise. Okay. So we, we are living in desperate times, but we are not desperate. We are not desperate because we are people of a promise and we know. We know exactly what is happening and we know exactly who is coming and who is exactly is in control. Therefore, we are not desperate. Hmm. The only thing we should be desperate is about if we sin and don't repent, then be desperate. <laughs> There's nothing else to be desperate about. Because everything else I'm telling you in this life is connected with this body which you are taking nowhere. The only thing that is connected with your soul is sin. Mm. Okay, sin. So we should be desperate about that. If you are sinning and you are not repenting, then you need to be desperate. 
And if you are struggling with sin and you are not able to overcome, then you should be crying out. Those are the things that matter to the soul. Salvation is the salvation of the soul. It is not the body. You tell me one thing you face in a day and tell me whether it is not connected with the body. Anything. Anything. What people are worried about. Pandemic. What does it affect? Your soul or your body? Body. Your body. Marriage. It affects your body or your soul. They try to trap, no, seven brothers married the seven women and Jesus, you don't understand scripture <laughs> or the power of God. Okay? <laughs> things people worry about. I'm talking about. These are all things got to do with the body. Mm. God says don't worry about that. That's why he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So please need, we're talking about prayer, it's not five times or seven times to be in that attitude. And yet pray in tongues. And pray with understanding. Once you have a burden, you have to pray through. And we pray. And we will actually learn to pray more and more and more and more and more, more pray. So you, God is not talking of a cessation of work, but it is talking to a better discipline and living in an atmosphere where you hear from God. You know? Jesus, if you looked at it, he prayed less. He worked more. So how did he divide his day? He woke up early in the morning and he prayed. And then he worked the whole day and slept like a log. Very healthy life. Mm. Took power naps also. I learned from him to sleep in the boat. Mm. <laughs> okay, I've been telling people as you get older, take power naps. You'll be able to function well. Pick the worst time of the day, which is worst useless. For me, it's the afternoon. Mm. Most useless time. I sleep an hour, an hour and a half in the afternoon. It doesn't bother mm. me. Like, like I tell, yesterday I slept at 1 in the morning and I woke up at 3.30 in the morning. This morning. I'm not tired. Because the afternoon nap takes care of you. Like, and he was sleeping in the boat. And the next thing he's driving out the demons. And then he crosses over. He's not tired. Mm. He slept well. Amen. You know, sometimes as you grow older, you need to understand how do you redeem your time. Mm. Because, you know, because yes, and we, do, we don't panic. We don't panic. And don't get into this rut. Oh, I have to pray five times. I have to go, oh, today I only prayed six times. What will I do? No. We have this liberty. Where the spirit is Lord, there, there is liberty. liberty. But the spirit is Lord, actually you will realize he will lead you into a more prayer life, not less. Yes. That is the liberty of the spirit. You mm. can't say, you can't say the liberty of the flesh has the liberty of the spirit. <laughs> I don't pray at all. I have the liberty of the spirit. God, that's the liberty of the flesh. No. <laughs> that is not the way. The spirit, that's why Paul says in Corinthians, but the grace of God, I have done more, more. worked harder than yes. all the apostles. Yes, okay? yes, that yes. is the liberty of the spirit. You don't work less, you work more. more. You work more. Amen. Yes. Amen. But when you take a break, you don't feel condemned because you're not under the law. Mm. Yes, Pastor Vidya. Again, another question related to this. Uh, when kids are baptized in the Holy Spirit under the age of 12, this is question number 9, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when kids are baptized in the Holy Spirit under the, under the age of 12, mm-hmm. as they grow in the Lord, will that will the tongues change or is it always the same? No, no. It, it, it is, see, tongues is a heavenly language, the a language of angels as Paul would call it. It's mm-hmm. a heavenly language. And when you are looking up word language, you have to look at it as a language. Like when we were children, we received a language, which we call our mother tongue. Mm-hmm. Did the language change? No. no. But technically what happens is your vocabulary increases. Mm. Okay. What I have understood from my own tongues is that my vocabulary increases. Mm. I haven't lost my old tongue. Yes. But like uh, when Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. But when I became, I put away child. You don't talk like a child anymore. 
that does not mean your language has changed. The language is the same, but the vocabulary has increased. Meaning, and you should ask for that. Ask for that. People don't understand it. People have to ask for it. Lord, I want to, I want to, I want to pray in an unknown tongue with more vocabulary. More vocabulary. Like when we are praising, why don't we sing only one song every Sunday, one song over and over again? Go on and praise him with as many songs as possible, as many words as possible. So tongues doesn't necessarily change. What happens is tongues increase. Tongues increase. The vocabulary changes. God gives you more and more words. Okay, and if you don't get it, don't get frustrated or upset about it, but ask of God. And it is all by faith. Ask of God and release your spirit to the spirit and pray in the spirit. So it is not always the same. It increases. Yes. Okay. So, Pastor, those are related to tongues, Pastor. There's now questions related to, again, uh, accountability and transformation, etc. Okay. This is question number 12. Does God hold us accountable for the salvation or transformation of someone who are not connected, who are connected to us in some way? Another wrong doctrine or a bondage that's laid upon a child of God to keep sticking to a toxic relationship? Okay, these are two different parts of the same question, but, uh, let me but go. You understand, that's yeah, understand, mm-hmm. but it cannot be answered in one cut and dry way. Let mm. me go to the book of Romans. Help me. Go to Romans chapter 14. And words. uh, Let's read the first uh, four verses and then I'll give you the verse. Romans 14 verses 1 to 4. Okay. Accept him whose faith is weak without mm. passing judgment on disputable matters. Meaning there are matters which are disputable. Okay. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Like we have children in our church who still struggle to eat meat. Right? Because they have come from a non-Christian background and they never ate meat. So, you know, so we tease them. We tease them until you eat, you're not fully delivered. But we're just teasing them. We leave them alone. We leave them alone. Okay, so it does not matter. Leave it alone. And verse 3, the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant to his own master? He stands and falls. And he will stand, but the Lord is able to make him stand. But now if you're going to go to verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Okay? Now, if you go to that question, the first part of that question, okay, we should not become a stumbling block to a brother. Mm. Okay? Okay? Meaning, if you believe you are stronger in the faith, then the onus is on you to bear the burden of the weak. Mm. Remember, these are, these are the questions God asks in the Bible. We are very familiar with the first question is, Adam, where are you? Second is, who told you? Third, what have you done? Fourth is, why are you angry? angry. But the fifth question he asks is, where is your brother? brother? And he says, I am not my brother's keeper. Am I my brother's keeper? 
But in the kingdom of God, we are our brother's keeper, meaning we have a responsibility, especially those who are, you know, those who are. That is why we saw in the morning, we didn't get into the exposition of it about uh, older men. Mm -hmm. Older men, uh, uh, the older men and the older women. Uh, that's much of the instructions. If you look over there, is given to the older men and the older women, not to the younger women and the younger women. Why? The older men and the older women, men, those are older in the Lord. They are the pillars on which the church stands. So their testimony matters. Mm. It matters because the younger ones who are sitting over there, they don't understand anything. Most of the thing that is preached, but they are watching us. They are watching us. So our testimony matters. Our witness matters. People are not usually often saved by words. They are saved by life. Okay, so does God hold us accountable for the salvation transfer of someone who are connected to us in some way? Yes. In one way, yes. yes. One way, yes. Okay? Not that we are totally responsible for the salvation of somebody else. You can live next to Elisha and end up as Gehazi, mm. a leper. You can walk with Jesus, live with Jesus, minister with Jesus and betray him at the end. That is Judas. Mm. You can minister with Peter, Paul, and love the world and live away at the end. That is Demas. Okay? So, one way, we are responsible. We are only responsible for our testimony. We are not responsible for their salvation. That's a choice a person has to make. Has to make. But the other thing is that, the extreme side of it is that, when this person is asking, you are in a very toxic relationship. Okay, toxic relationship. Let us say an abused wife. Domestic violence. An abused wife. She's beaten up daily. Children are abused. And you tell them, for the sake of your testimony, you need to stay there. Because who knows, your husband may get saved. No? That is where we have to be very, very careful. That's where counsel is very, very, very careful. Because you need to realize the Bible actually talks about separation. Talks about separation. It does. In Corinthians, it talks about it. Because sometimes you protect the life of somebody. The best thing is to separate and see if you can be reconciled. But in some cases, you, you see, you need two hands to clap. You need two to tango. What happens if one person, let's say the man is a joke and he doesn't want to recall my way or no other way. I will drink, I will beat you up, I will do whatever I want, I will not take care of the family, you stay with me or you leave. What do you tell people like that? So we have, this is, this is where we have to be very careful that we do not become dogmatic and pharisaical. Okay, we have to be very careful because we have to look at the whole counsel of God, how to advise people as they're going through. You need, you need to realize these things happen. And that's what this person is asking. Yes, am I accountable? Yes. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Am I totally responsible for my brother? No. He's responsible for his actions too. And if my testimony does not change him and he says, I don't care about your testimony, but you better stay over there and get beaten up every day, I will say, sorry, brother. You know, Derek Prince has preached a very beautiful message. He's saying, don't help people who refuse to change, who refuse to, to help themselves. Don't help them. Don't help them, he says. Don't help them. He says, you know what? They are toxic. They are toxic. They are toxic. 
Okay, and that's where we have to be very, very careful. You know, they are toxic. That's, that is the reason where God says, those who do not work should not eat. He's not saying your food comes from your work. But he says, work is a culture. It's a culture. It's not that you work and then you earn and then you eat. He says not that. He says, you should work. You should work. If you don't work, uh, don't help them. Don't help them. Because they will get used. America is being destroyed because of entitlementality. Yep. Entitlementality. And it destroys the nation. America became the greatest nation on earth because of hard work and thrift. America will go down like a pile of cards if they don't change their work culture. Because it's a generation and that's what this system is doing. Just stimulus check, 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 check. And you know what happens? There are so many jobs opening and people are not working. Because they look at it and say, you know what, I'll get $1,400 by check. Why should I go to work? And you can't do that. In extreme situations, when there is like in a complete lockdown, people do not have anything, they are not allowed to do, yes. But after that, get back to work. Get back to work. And governments, oppressive governments, continue with lockdowns and continue feeding people with entitlement. Why? Because they know they will become slaves. They will become slaves. And once you have enslaved them in their mind, they can control them. And that's exactly what happened in, you look at the children of Israel in the desert, what is in their mind? They say, we remember what we ate in Egypt. Oh, how we sat under those fires and ate meat and cucumbers and leek and garlic. We are tired of this manna. You know what? They enslaved them with good food so they could work for them. Oh, it was free food. But they were slaves. They were slaves. And they never, you know why they never possessed the land full of promises? Because they were, en- they were enslaved by the entitlement mentality. And we should never, never, never. Because is, is come? Easy go. Oh, yes. No. Easy come. Will not value it. It will not value it at all. It mm. will not value it. You know, only one good thing about, I mean, everything else about it, I mean, do not like Bill Gates. If I'm right, he's got, he's going through his divorce and he's got three daughters. You know how much he's worth? 120 billion? 140 billion? But actually, now the wife is trying to change the terms of the will. You know how much he left for each of his daughters? 10 million each. Only. He says they have to come up the hard way up. I'm not leaving anything for them more than that. Otherwise I'll destroy them. You know what he said is true. I got 100 billion. I'm going to give the eldest one 25 billion. The next one 25 billion. Yo, they're gone. That's it. They're gone. Hmm. They're gone. They can. We need to realize the devil also has his ways. Okay, how about, how about destroying people? And we need to understand. So you need to understand where it is talking about. You know? We have to be very, very careful about what we believe because the wrong doctrine can destroy you. That's why this prosperity gospel destroyed the yep. church. Yep. What is it? Name it, claim it, confess it, and money just comes through the windows. Where is your character? Where did you learn your work ethics? Where did you learn what integrity is? Where do you learn what faithfulness is? Where do you learn the character of God? Did he send his son that way? He said, learn the hard way up. And he's because, from what he suffered, he learned obedience. obedience. And when he was made perfect, he became the source of salvation for everyone. Oh. So that's the way it is. Hmm. That's the way it should be. 
And otherwise we will never learn what God wants you to be learned. So please understand here. Yes, am I responsible for my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. I have to put no stumbling block before him. I should not put a stumbling block before him. But the other way, you can be the most kosher Christian, the most purest saint, and the guy may never change. May not be interested at all. So that way you are not. And then don't remain in that toxic relationship, receiving all that abusing that, no, I have to stay because I am responsible for his soul. No, you are not. You are not. He's responsible for your soul. Get out of that toxic relationship, whatever it is. Get it out. If it's an abusive, physical, emotional, battered life, get out of it. You're not going to save anybody. Because sometimes when you walk out, they get a wake-up call. You walk out, they get a wake-up call and they realize, oh my gosh, you know what? What did I lose? Hmm. What did I lose? What did I lose? They get a wake-up call. Okay, And that's why I said, I always advise this to parents about prodigal sons and daughters. If the prodigal son's father had sent him a check, he would have never come back home. Never come back home. The boy had to come to his senses and come back. You don't enable a prodigal son or a daughter. You don't enable them. If he comes back one day early because you sent him the money, he will turn your house into a pig pen. So we have to be very, very careful. That's, that's, that's why there are these three different parables together. One is the parable of the lost sheep. Lost, searches, finds, carries, brings. The second one is the parable of the lost coin. Somebody is lost because of somebody else's mistake. Search, find, restore. The third one is the one who walks away. If you walk away, you come back on your own. Terms of the house don't change. The house is still the same. The rules are still the same. You want to come back, you come back. Because you want to come back. You like coming back. You appreciate what is there in this house. You don't go search for them and bring. So you have to be very, very careful in what condition did a person leave. Was he case one, the lost sheep? Was he case two, the lost coin? Or is he case three, the lost son, the prodigal son? But in all three cases, what do you do? You pray. The only thing that doesn't change over is you pray. Hmm. You pray. Okay. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, this is another super question. It's question number eight because we're talking about uh, entitlement mentality. Mm. It's question number eight. It says, I've often heard you speaking about prosperity gospel preachers. What is it and how do we differentiate between the prosperity gospel preachers and the actual genuine preachers? Ultimately, aren't they preaching the gospel? Why should we be aware of them? First, let me tell you one there is only one gospel. <laughs> it is the gospel of Christ. This is the gospel of grace. Mm. Okay. Prosperity preachers, what happens is that they, they use that verse from, from. Second John. Third sec, John. Third John. Uh, third John. Third John. Third John. Yeah. Just put that. That is their favorite, their, uh, their foundation stone <laughs> on which they build their entire theology. Third John chapter one. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Is, is there. Yeah. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul. Uh, can you put it in case? <laughs> this is NIV? It is NIV, yes. Okay. 
I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Okay, so they only will talk one part and they won't put the second part. The second part is what is important, as your soul prospers. Mm. So the primary thing is the prosperity of your soul. So you have to understand these two fundamental differences. And all the promises they are exclusively used are from the Old Testament. Okay, Old Testament. Now, when you come to the Old Testament, Israel, all the promises are given to Israel. Okay? Israel is going to a promised land. Going to a promised land. It's a place. And in that place, if they listen to the voice of God and obey His commandments, all these blessings will follow them. Mm. Okay? In the New Covenant, we are not going to a promised land. We are not promised any land. We are promised a life. Mm. It's the life of Jesus Christ. A life which is a life of victory. Okay? There, in their case, they had to win over all their physical enemies. Yes. In our case, we have no physical enemies. Mm. We have only spiritual enemies. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So we have sin. We have, we have to overcome sin. We have to overcome the devil. We have to overcome the world. Okay, overcome the world. If you actually go to what the Bible says about the gospel, okay. Timothy, okay, go to chapter 6, 1st Timothy chapter 6. Let us read from Verse 3 onwards. Beloved, I pray, okay, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome, which, which version is this? NKJV. Okay, NKJV. Even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine which accords with godliness. Mm. The first thing you need to ask is that, does this doctrine make me godly? Make me godly. Mm. Yes. <laughs> That's the first question you need to ask. Does this doctrine make, make me, me godly? godly? Okay. Does this make me? Okay. Now go to verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is a great gain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Read further. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Okay. Now, simple question is that, uh, Jesus uh, was basically talked about it. You know, he 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 taught about it. The simple question is, how much is enough? Hmm. How much is enough? We brought nothing in this world. We carry nothing. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Okay, go to verse nine. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is the issue here? The issue is money is power. It is power. Money gives you literally in this life independence from God in most affairs of life. That is the problem. The problem is not what money. The problem is what money does to you. 
the question is not about money the question is can you really handle money do christians an average christian let us say you see in the church does him have the power to handle money, money. yes and i will tell you most people do not have <laughs> anybody who gets a bonus the first thing is how to spend it <laughs> splurge how many people can really really handle money is the question how many can handle splurge or hoard yeah. either hoard <laughs> bible says the rich man you are it's a hoard and it's crying out to god it's crying out either we hoard it or we, we splurge, splurge it. it but that's not what money is for money is useless if it is not used it is not used the the joke in the banking circles is the rich men love of the poor the poor people put their money in the banks the rich men borrow from them <laughs> <laughs> okay so we need to understand what is so there is a fundamental fallacy with the prosperity gospel because it brings your entire attention to this world entire to this world which is passing which is perishing and how can you keep on wanting this desire to become rich and healthy and wealthy and then also want to go to heaven the purpose of wealth is only one thing the purpose of wealth <laughs> is that god says use it if you have wealth live well so god has no issues with any of this thing live well but the bible says in romans chapter 12 some have been given the gift to produce wealth for what for the sake of the kingdom mm. for the sake of the kingdom that is the purpose of the world the sake of the kingdom like we have the the ancient uh, american entrepreneurs like colgate, colgate and all who gave away almost the entire wealth for the kingdom and that one person and all which they kept for themselves they look like millionaires hmm. which how can they look like that but they don't realize he's giving 90% of his income away for the kingdom work hmm. and so god is able to bless him so you do not have to envy looking at somebody like colgate seeing that wow look at his lifestyle god says look at his giving you see only one side you don't see his other side of it how much he gives away and therefore i am able to bless him and bless him so there is a blessing which god blesses because he knows he can trust this person he will give it away and there is the other person whom the devil blesses when the devil blesses also he can bless he's got power he's got money he can bless you but if you look at the people whom he blesses the bible says there is strife there is no peace there is always envy and jealousy and competition, competition all yes. kind of things mm. you know you see In Genesis chapter 12 Abraham enters into the promised land and there is famine he goes into Egypt Pharaoh takes his wife and Pharaoh makes him rich for his wife's sake mm. that's what the bible says right he is rich lot is rich everybody how tumhare khandan mein kitne log hai how many people in your house oh, i and my neighbor yeah, take camels and she made servants with all for god intervenes get sara out and they get out immediately conflict begins mm. Do you know this conflict begins in Genesis chapter 13? Yes. Conflict begins between Abraham and Lot. Why does conflict begin? Because the money is ill-gotten. Yeah. That's why conflict begins. That money is not kosher. What? <laughs> money is not kosher. Mm. Conflict begins. See, when God gives, when that's why when God prospers a man, he adds no trouble to it. And that's the only money we want. 
We don't want money. If God prospers you, we know. I brought nothing. I am taking nothing. This is for a season. You leave an inheritance for your children because the Bible says fathers should leave an inheritance for their children. It's good for them. Whatever you can. My father left me education. He invested in that for his five children. And we thank God. The parents invested. They didn't leave us money. They left uh, education. I look at my cousins on my father's side. Their fathers left the money. They blew it all away. <laughs> they blew it all away. My father was wise. He did not give us money. He gave us education. You can't blow your education away. <laughs> Unless brains come out of a years, okay? You cannot blow it away. So he was wise. But parents have to live an inheritance, you know? But first thing is you have to teach your children stewardship. See, we have five children. And we know our children very well. We know our children very well. So man, I will always say, first two, we can give the money. Other three, be careful. <laughs> the first two, they know what stewardship is. You give them $100, they will be very careful how they spend it. They are very careful. Know how to spend money. Three, four, five, don't even give them your credit card number. Two in the morning, you will realize they have gone and eaten for... No, I mean, for them, it's only $120. For us, it is like 8,000 rupees they've eaten one meal off. You have to keep on changing the pin. Why? Because these ones haven't learned how to handle yet. Okay, handle yet. But the first two, well-trained, no issues at all. So the question is, God has all kinds of children. What is God talking? He's teaching us about stewardship. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Of course, they will immediately turn around and say, see, see, it doesn't say money. money. It is a love, love of money. <laughs> but you cannot keep on preaching money, money, money without... See, if I preach God, people will love, love God. God. If I preach money, people will love money. Uh, exactly. Whatever you preach, you will end up speaking, you will end up loving it. Right? For which some have strayed away from faith in their greediness. And have pierced themselves through with many, many sorrows. sorrows. This is the truth. That is the problem with the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel has taken the gospel of grace away. The gospel of faith away. If you have, uh, if you believe and for 10 million dollars and 10 million dollars comes after that, are you going to walk in faith? Are you going to walk in mm-hmm. faith? Okay. Have you learned stewardship? Okay, and that's a simple thing which is given in Psalm 106 and verse 15. Mm-hmm. The danger of it, the prosperity gospel, ask, name it, claim it, and then blame it. He gave them their request. If you keep on asking, God will give it to you. They mm-hmm. kept on asking and God gave it to them. But what did he send? Leanness. He sent leanness into their souls. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you want to put a, if you want to, um, if you want to put a picture in your mind's eye, these are stout, fit men with dried up souls. Hmm. Dried up souls. That's what their souls are dried up. But what did Third John say? As your soul prospers. As your soul prospers. Soul prospers. The question is that, has the gospel made your soul prosper? Hmm. Made you strong in your soul. Can you say that? You know. And Paul is a man. He says, "I know how to abound. I know how to abase. 
I know how to be content in all things. all things and all situation. We are not against prosperity. We are not for poverty. Neither. There is no poverty gospel or a prosperity gospel. It's only a pun gospel. gospel. <laughs> and the thing is that my God shall supply all my needs. He will do. And if he gives us more, we know it's for a purpose. It is for a purpose. It's for the kingdom. Okay, so we have to look at the overall this thing. And I, 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 the, the prosperity gospel has done so much damage to the church. It just like mushrooms after a rain, churches started springing up. All kinds of people. That's people sometimes wonder why I talk about the suit suit costumes you wear. If you have noticed about all these prosperity preachers wear costumes. Meaning, when you preach a particular gospel, then you need to have a particular attire. Yes. To justify it. Mm-hmm. To justify it. It should mm-hmm. be like either the old clerical thing, where in the US, wear a proper suit. That's your this thing. But that's not what I look at these pastors wearing torn jeans, big boots, and I mean, what are you doing over there? What gospel are you preaching? You're becoming a stumbling block. You're telling the young people you don't need to change. Hmm. You need to not need to change. You have to be very, very careful about these things because you know what. That's why you look at a person and you look at how he's dressed. You will also know what he preaches. Because once you preach the prosperity gospel, then you have to live that lifestyle because you have to prove that you're preaching your doctrine and your life cannot be separated. So you need to have a $20 million home. <laughs> you need to be driving this uh, $1 million car and you need to have all the security guards all around you. You know, in Nigeria, it's very interesting. Nigeria produces some of the richest um, pastors. <laughs> you know, richest pastors. It's interesting. The one of the nations on planet Earth, Christians are persecuted most. Also produces some of the richest pastors. My question to you is that. You have men and women and children being killed. What are you doing with your riches? What are you doing with your riches? Why don't you just reach out and help them? Really, really help them. Some of them can simply take care of all the persecuted Christians. That much wealth they have. No wealth they have. And it's an abomination. You know? <laughs> I'm not saying, I have nothing against riches. Give me money, I'll take it. Okay, I'm not talking about it. Okay, but the point is this. The point is this. Is your soul prospering or is your soul lean? Because your doctrine will change your life. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, this is question number seven. Uh, we forgot to ask this question. Mm. This is, um, yeah, uh, you read a few pages of a book that is uh, talking about the yeah, yeah. prayer uh, book. Ian Bounds. Uh, where it talks about why prayer is important to God. Prayer is a kind of communication as well with God, right? Yeah. Then in the New Testament, he says, I will teach you how to pray. He prays the, he prays the Father. But then Catholics also pray. Hmm. That to ten times a day. Okay. Now when he teaching us, can we go to the Lord's Prayer? When he's teaching us to pray, he's not. Okay. You have to balance it. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Mother's because before that, yeah, I will have, I will give you the other words also, which I want. Got it? Okay. 
before you come over there, okay, this is the Lord's prayer. This is the manner, therefore, to pray, our Father who art in. Everybody knows that. But before that, come to verse 7. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Mm. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need before you ask him. Mm. Let me ask you this simple question. Go back to that question. Question 7. Yeah. But the Catholics also pray that 10 times a day. Let me ask you this question. Do you think God is a retard? That you have to repeat the same prayer 10 times a day? I, I I wouldn't allow my kids to do it to me. <laughs> so you know what did happens? We have become pagan in our approach to prayer. We had made in Indians will understand. We have made the Lord's prayer into a mantra. Now we are not praying to God. We are using it like occult people use spells. And Jesus said, "Don't do that. Your father already knows what you need." This is the format I have given to you. This is the way your prayer should be. Any prayer you pray, this should be the center of it, the doctrine behind prayer. Let's look at the doctrine behind the Lord's Prayer. Let's go to the Lord's Prayer. Right? Yeah. What do you need to, how do you need to pray? Verse 9 onwards. This is the manner therefore prayer. First, the first thing he says, Ramba, you are praying to your father. God is your father. Okay? Others don't pray like that. Not even a Yahudi, a Jew would pray like that. It's, it is absolutely mind-boggling for the Jews who are listening. No Jew would stand up and they wouldn't even lift their heads up. They wouldn't pronounce the name Yahweh. <laughs> and Jesus suddenly comes and says, you know what? Come to his children to your father. Abba, hallowed thee be thy name. What's the first thing? He says, you know what? Remember you have a name. Hmm. You have a name. Whose name do you have? The Father's name. So, this is the thing. Lord, whatever I do in life, help me to see that your name is revered. Let me not be a cause for your name to be despised by the Gentiles. That was what God told to David. It's a father and son talking. If you wanted wives, I would have given you all the concubines of your earlier king. Right? Why did you take her? Wow. Did you see that what the Gentiles are talking about my name? <laughs> David is God. What can ever God? His God is no different than our God. We also take other men's wife. David also take. You know what? In the heavenlies, you know what they are talking? You know what the Gentile kings are talking? They are thinking, I am like the other gods. The first thing he says, you know, be, you need to be zealous for my name. I have a name. Okay, that's what fathers will tell. Children, no? They get upset when kids this thing, you know. Imagine your child is caught stealing from somebody this thing, you know. The mother is concerned different way. The father is concerned in a different way altogether. Oh. Why? That's what I said. The worst thing in life is to be born as a principal son. Because I used to get spanked like crazy. Because I used to tell, why do you beat me? Like, it's got to do with my name. <laughs> Somebody else, they will say that boy did it. You do it, the principal son did it. So the Dad comes, the principal son did it. So I will teach you not to do anything that messes up my name. Okay. So the prayer, the doctrine behind the prayer is that you and I have been given a name, the name of the Father. We have a Father in heaven, the living God. And there is a devil who hates us and hates God. So he wants to mess up the name of the Father. We are the witnesses of God on earth. We are the testimony of God on earth. So God says, you know what? 
Be careful about my name. Don't mess my name up. It's incredible. Not just, we understand the power of his name in the name of Jesus. But he says, you also need to know the reverence and the honor attached to that name. Don't dishonor my name. Don't dishonor my name. No, don't. Uh, no, we say it in a very izzat ki baat. Okay, it's a matter of respect. Don't mess up your father's name. He's got a good name in the society. Don't mess up your name. You know, imagine, the father is such a kind man, such a loving man, that when the prodigal son comes back, he hugs him, he covers him, everything. But you know what the prodigal son did in his community? Messed up the father's name. You know what people would have talked behind him back? You know that man? The righteous man? You know what he is? His son is living with prostitutes. He's thrown all his money away. His name is, but the father just is blind to all that, shuts ears, and receives the son back. And that's exactly what God has done. We messed up his name. And when we come back, he receives us. So it is his name. That's exactly what he tells Ezekiel too. Yeah. You have made my name, took my name, and you have made it unholy among the Gentiles. Gentiles. And yet I took you from there. I took it, no? Profaned my name. Profaned my name. So that's the first thing. That's the doctrine. We are not repeating. There's no power in repeating prayers. There's a doctrine behind that. We understand the doctrine behind what God is talking about. Then we pray. It doesn't matter what words we use. The doctrine has to be right. Okay, second thing, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We are waiting for the kingdom to come. Your kingdom has to come. Where does it come? Where does the kingdom first touch earth? It touches me. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Don't look here and there. It's within you. If you have been born again, the kingdom. And the kingdom is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. Mm-hmm. That power should be demonstrated in my life. I have the kingdom. It's a kingdom that overcomes. I have to demonstrate that kingdom. That is what it means by praying the kingdom. What does it mean? Lord, help me to overcome, Lord. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's prosperity gospel. That's not the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is righteousness. Lord, I want to grow in my righteousness. It is only by faith. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace. Lord, in the midst of my storm, I need peace. Because that's the power of the kingdom. Then people will, that's why I keep saying, you might be even in the ICU, do not be discouraged. Lift your heads up because there you are the kingdom. The kingdom never buckles before a storm. The kingdom can never buckle before a test. Thy kingdom come. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's being manifested in the prison in Philippi. Two people are praying and singing. What is happening? The kingdom is manifested. Do you think they're praying the Lord's Prayer? Definitely not. They're not praying the Lord's Prayer, but the Lord's Prayer is being manifested over there. His name, his kingdom, his will, everything. And what is what's the next part about it? Right? Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, Lord. You you cannot pray this prayer unless you are bold and courageous. You're not asking anything for tomorrow. Anything for tomorrow. You can only ask that to your father. You cannot ask that to anybody. You go to your employer and ask for the month's salary. You ask your father only for today's pocket money. Because you know tomorrow you will get if you ask. Hmm. Everybody else, you don't ask for day, hmm. today's. Only your father you can. He says, you need to know God as your father. He is in complete control of your tomorrows. He's got resources. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. The gold and silver are his. He doesn't print money. He makes gold. Hallelujah. Okay. You don't have to worry about your tomorrow. You do not have to worry about tomorrow. He says, you have to come to me with that faith and just say, Lord, all I need is what I need for today. 
I need health for today. I need mercy for today. I need grace for today. And whatever I need provisions, you will give. You will give. Now, when you talk about daily bread, it is not talking about eating and drinking. Mm. It would be an abomination for me if my children were to come and ask me for breakfast, lunch and dinner. They just come and sit at the table. They just come and sit. They automatically know it will be provided. It will be provided. So when you are talking about daily bread, it is talking about the other things which we need. What is that I do for my daily life? First thing, I need mercy. First thing is mercy. Second thing is grace. Mm. And along with that comes, I need healing. I need healing for my body. I need healing. And that's what the Canaanite woman he says, bread from the children on the table is for the children. What's she asking for? She's asking for healing and deliverance for the table. And Jesus puts that as the bread. children's bread. Mm. So I need healing. I need deliverance. I need strength. And that is my daily bread. We have to understand the doctrine. <coughs> Verse number 12, forgive us our debts. What is the greatest need of mankind? Is forgiveness. It's not healing. It's not deliverance. The greatest need of mankind is forgiveness. People don't realize. People are all in the ICU hospitals. You think they need healing first? No. They need forgiveness first. If you're forgiven, you can die and go to heaven. Hmm. If you're healed, you can still die and go to hell. The greatest need of mankind was met by God in Christ Jesus. Forgiven. And I need forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. And we suddenly realize why. Blessed are the merciful because they shall obtain mercy. Obtain mercy. The more you forgive, the more you experience forgiveness. Forgiveness is an experience. It's not an idea. It's an experience. Why are people not able to experience the forgiveness of God? Forgiveness is, forgiveness is something like money in the bank. You have to withdraw it. Hmm. If you have to spend it. Hmm. If you don't withdraw it, it's no use. It's there in the bank. All you is feel good. <laughs> you don't, you only feel good. You don't use good. You only feel good. So forgiveness, if I have to experience, you know what I need to do? I need to spend it on others. Blessed are those who forgive. Merciful. They shall obtain. So God says. Otherwise, what will happen? God says you will be tormented. Hmm. Why is he put over there? He says, I am, Lord, what if I don't forgive? He says, it's bad for you. <laughs> How is it bad for you? You will be tormented. You know, unforgiving people never sleep well at night. Either they are tormented or they are, or they are drinking poison. <laughs> oh, thinking of the day when this one will come across and then I will give nicely. They are planning, plotting, which will never happen. Because 99% people, God never gives them the power to take revenge. But they enjoy it in their minds. And they grin, they gnash. Because they are gnashing their teeth in sleep, they gnash all through hell. That's where the gnashing of teeth comes. You know, they are tormented. They are never able to sleep. They are never able to enjoy peace. And they become hard and bitter people. Hard and bitter people. Okay? And God says, and that's why he says, it's for your sin. Let go. Forgive. Whenever a personal thought comes, let up your hands, Lord, I choose to forgive. I was telling yesterday to somebody also going through error. That is, no. We don't do that. What you need to do is that, why did God say, bless your enemies? For whose sake? Your sake. Your sake. Not for the other person. That other person may never be blessed. But you are free inside. 
You are at liberty inside. You choose to bless your enemies. You choose to pray for your enemies. Let go. You know? And deliver us from the, lead us not into temptation. And deliver us from the evil one. So this prayer is, there's a doctrine behind it. Okay? Meaning, temptation leads to sin. So, if you can cut it before it happens. Lord, I don't know today. Or I don't know tomorrow. You know my tomorrow. So, do you know, Lord, can you do one thing? Just order my steps that I don't go into areas where I get tempted. You know my unique temptations. <laughs> you know, oh Lord, please would you direct my paths that I avoid those areas of temptation, Lord, so that I don't sin against you. Simple. If David had prayed that prayer at the time when kings go to war, he would have, he would have gone to war. He would have gone to war. There would have been no Bathsheba. He didn't go to war. Got tempted. Fell. God uh, puts him up for adoption. No. He says, you're my son. I will still make something good out of your sin. What did he do? He created a Solomon. You need to realize God can take our mistakes and make it into a, into a message. God never gives up on his children. Never gives up on his children. Out of that mess David did with Bathsheba, he created a Solomon who built the temple. And God put his name on that temple. So understand what God is. So this is, this whole thing, Lord's Prayer is not to be repeated like occult people do, pagans do that, no? Like, I mean, if you go into Hinduism, it's all mantras. All prayers are mantras. The power is not in the God they're calling upon. The power is in the mantra. When Muslims pray, pray five times, it is the same prayer they are receiving as if there is power in that prayer. No. The power is not in that prayer. The power is in the God who answers prayer. And God says, don't babble like pagans. Don't make me a retard. Don't come and repeat the same thing over and over. I mean, imagine how boring it must be. Ten million Catholics or one billion Catholics saying, our Father who art in heaven. God says, oh my gosh. <laughs> and Mary will say, Abba, Abba, Father, Lord, I am not responsible for this. I never taught anybody anything. I never preached a single sermon. I am not, don't, Lord, please don't blame me for this. You know? But the prayer has power. It has power. But the fundamental doctrine, this is the manner in which you should pray. So he's just giving you an outline. Like we do in comprehension questions, we give an outline and tell them, write the story. So God said, this is the general outline. Now from that outline, you pray your prayers and God will answer you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, you are done actually. Okay. There's only one question, but I think we already answered it last time. Okay. And there was that question which I came. Okay. Let me read it again. Do you believe these warning signs? You are facing crisis all around. See, I see the signs. But you need to realize every generation saw these signs. And as each generation goes, it gets clearer and clearer and clearer. Okay. Our, if Jesus tarries to come, our next generation will see these signs in a different light altogether. Completely different light altogether. So, our thing is that we do not know. We know one thing. He who endures till the end shall be saved. So, Lord, I, I don't need ordinary faith. I need enduring faith. Second thing is that when these things are happening, I don't get depressed or discouraged. I get encouraged because at the end of it is, yet it is labor pains. Yet there is pain, but at the end of it is a baby. The baby handle will handle the pain. Mm. Okay, He endured the cross looking at the joy that is set before. So we look at these joys and we know our redemption is near whenever it is. And the third thing, most important, important, we don't go into 
uh, what you call into depression or solitude. I have to occupy till he comes. Mm-hmm. And he has never told you when he will come. So you have to do the things you are called to do with even more zeal because when he comes, when in Malayalam we have a, a saying in Malayalam, no, this, when it is lunchtime, the carpenter knows it is lunchtime. Okay, so it's one o'clock lunchtime. So at 12.55 he will start hammering because he knows this is the time the Mali comes and will call you for lunch. So he's acting as if he's working very hard. Okay. But God says, when I come, <laughs> blessed is the one. one who is found doing what he was called to do. Amen. You know what? Till this moment, you served me. But because I found you serving till the last, I serve now you. I will serve you. I will serve you. So that third part don't, because people will know. People will say rapture is happening. They will start selling their stocks, everything, and then sitting at home waiting for how God says, don't do that stupid thing. Because many people did in previous injuries and last century also. Lord is coming, they set a date, they all sold and they all wear wore white garments and waiting for rapture, nothing took place. Okay. Don't do stupid <laughs> stuff like that. God says, occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. That's it. <laughs> so we keep praying, we keep preaching, we keep living like he can come today or he may not come in the next 10 years or 20 years or in my lifetime. He may not come. So that is how we have to look. But we look at all these signs. The signs are there, but I my only concern is that I do not see him coming. It's only because I look at the, the population that is not saved. The huge 7 billion people, I don't think even 6 billion are saved. I don't know. I don't think they are saved. But that should not give me comfort and make me lazy because I looked at the other side also. 600,000 men and only two entered the promised land. A city full, Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of the plain, only one family was brought out. Same thing with okay. Noah. Noah's time, eight people, the entire world was judged, only eight people. So don't take comfort, okay, I can, I can tarry a little more comfort, okay, all of them are not saved, so that's fine. God says be careful. Both pictures are there in the Bible. So, <laughs> <laughs> you have to balance Consider it all. the goodness and the, and the severity of, of God. God. He can come tomorrow. He may in his mercy extend another hundred years. Okay. There are both sides of people. People who are saying God is coming and there are people who are prophesying he will come only after a hundred years. So, all groups are there. Okay. <laughs> so, you need to understand we do not know. So, we shall pray. Yes. That's what Father, we just thank you. We just (laughs) thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all these questions your Mm -hmm. children ask, oh, Father. And I pray, Father, even if we have erred somewhere in our answers, yet you would impress the truth in their souls, in their minds, oh, Lord, that where we fail, you never fail. So I release even the answers into the hands, Spirit of God, that you would impress the truth in their hearts, for only the truth can set us free, Lord. Oh, Father, touch everyone, Lord. Everyone who is listening, touch. Let them not give up hope. Let them continue fighting this good fight of faith because the one who promised is faithful. He will not forget your labor of love. Wherever you are, whichever part, you may be, you may be an entrepreneur pouring your money into the kingdom of God or you may be a single mother struggling to bring your children up in the ways of the Lord. God's eyes are on both of you Hmm. and he will not forget 
your labor of love. So just serve unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and do it with love and with gratitude and with thanksgiving. And his word promises us all things will ultimately work together for our good. We love him and are called according to his promise. I speak that over everyone's life. It will work out. Ultimately, you will be able to say, it is well with my soul. But there is a God who said, he makes all things beautiful in, in his time. time. Amen. Oh, Father, we just love you. We just love you, love you, Lord. All we can say is, Lord, thank you for saving us. Left to us, we would have never chosen you. In your sovereign will, you chose us. All we can say is, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. We bless your holy name, Lord. I speak rest into everyone's heart tomorrow morning. If you tarry to come tonight and we come here, you give us life and we come here, we pray, Lord, your presence will be there. The corporate presence, the people bringing the presence of God into the house of God. Thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.